Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning I'll be doing a reading um, from Mark 10, 35 to 40. The request of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus then said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. I wonder what your idea of success is. When you see the word success, what comes to mind for you? Our culture, our world has a kind of a predetermined idea of success and, and fame and fortune and, and having things come to you as you would like them to come to you. Sometimes we can feel like success is the goal, that, that actually the only way that we can be happy in life is if we feel a sense of success, that, that we see something and then we strive for it and then we achieve it and then others look at us and they see that our lives have been success. Is success what we're seeking? And if it is, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? What, what is the goal if that's the case? I want to introduce you uh, to somebody called Timothy M. Stackpole. I, I never met Timothy. Uh, he was part of the New York Fire Department uh, many, many years ago. Uh, way back in 1998, uh, on June 5th to be precise, uh, he went into a building that was falling down because it was on fire, uh, him and many of his fire comrades, uh, and the actual building collapsed on him and those at the time. Uh, many, if not most, of the other firefighters actually died in that collapse. Uh, he received fourth to fifth degree burns, which is significant, to about 40% of his body. It was obviously touch and go as to whether he would survive, spent a long time recovering, took a long time to get back to active service. But he did. And so March 2001, he returned to active service. He actually received a promotion and became a captain in the New York Fire Department. He was at the headquarters of the New York Fire Department on September 11. He was off duty, wasn't actually called to duty on that day. But as you may not be surprised, he entered the second tower of the World Trade Center on September 11, off duty, and gave his life trying to save others. Uh, Philip Yancey, who's an author, he writes about Albert Einstein. Uh, and it says this, that, that towards the end of Albert Einstein's life, he removed portraits of two scientists. Now, obviously, Einstein... He revered other scientists who had actually achieved and had a great deal of success in their life. But he removed pictures of Isaac Newton and James Maxwell from his wall. And he replaced those with portraits of Gandhi and Albert Schweitzer. Einstein explained that it was time 
to replace the image of success with the image of service. Across Einstein's life, as he achieved, and Einstein achieved a lot, many, if not most of us, would look at Einstein and say, there's a man with success. E equals MC squared. I may not know what it means, but E equals MC squared. Isn't that amazing? Well, I kind of do because I learned in science, but I'm sure others are like, yeah, I know the the formula, but yeah, good luck. What is E? What is MC? He was successful. But even he recognised there's something else to look to. That, That maybe there's something beyond just success which is what actually will give us a fulfilled life. <coughs> We're in our last week of our series today looking at faith catalysts. Uh, what are those things that we can do, whether it's active or whether it's things that happen to us, that really catalyze our faith, that supercharge them, that kind of take them and help them to blow up so that our faith grows and really becomes the heart of who we are as a person? And so the particular area we're looking at today is personal ministry. And there are so many different avenues that we could go down for this one, but there's a particular angle that I wanted to look at this from that that I actually think is really helpful for us. And whether you call Austin Cove Church home or if you're visiting with us today, uh, this is one that you can look at and go, okay, what does this mean? How does this look like? And it's not going to be anything new. In fact, Most of what I'm going to be sharing today is going to be something that's more of a reminder than it is any great big pearls of wisdom. But the kind of area I want us to talk about is this idea that adopting an attitude of servanthood, that that making that kind of the very heart of your personality and presence and what you do in life, that that is one of the best acts you can do to supercharge your faith. That, that taking on the role of a servant, that putting yourself in that place and having a mindset of how can I serve this day? In whatever place I find myself, whatever role that I find myself, whatever work or job or, or environment that I'm in today, how can I this day look to serve the other? While at the same time recognising That if all you do is serve and you never actually get some energy back and you never take time to have a rest, that that isn't the sort of servant heartedness that we're looking at. What I want to jump in, we're going to jump into Mark. We're going to pick up where we just left off. Uh, We just had read to us. uh, Two of Jesus' disciples demonstrated that actually people in Jesus' day were really no different than people today. Okay, there were some things that obviously were different, but the reality was they saw Jesus as someone who had power. They recognized that Jesus had authority. And so they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, we want you, this is what what they're actually asking for, is we want you to make us the most important people in heaven. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want you to have us sit at your right and your left. That meant that they were asking to have the most honoured place. These are people that have been journeying with Jesus for some time at this stage. Not a long time, but some time. And they still haven't quite caught the heart of Jesus. But I love how gentle Jesus is in his response. He says, you know, yes, you will, be, you will have the baptism. Yes, you will have the cup. Yes, you will be in glory with me. But actually, that's not something I can grant. I can almost imagine Jesus going, how could you even ask that? 
But then what happens, which is natural, is the other 10 disciples. You know, you know when you're with those friends and those friends ask for something special. Like, hey, who are you to ask for that? Like, I want that. And they get indignant and it says this. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant. They should have that role. Who are those two to ask for that? I want that. Jesus, give me that space. They were indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together. I can just imagine him going, all right, come on, come in, come in. Children, children. Okay, maybe not quite, but come in and listen. You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Four really simple words. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, so becoming great is actually not a problem. Jesus doesn't see being great as the problem. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, one of the things I love about this passage as we read it is we read it with post-resurrection eyes. We, we read it with eyes of after Jesus has died. And so we see the line about him saying that he came to give his life and going, yeah, Jesus did. He, he died on the cross. But remember, this is before the cross. That, that even before the cross, Jesus knew where this story would end. And that he came to model a way of living that we could then follow. Not so with you. Getting all the accolades, being the person at the top of the tree, uh, having all the awards and, and see, being seen to be a success, that's not your goal in life. Coming to serve. But again, sometimes we can take that too far and we become doormats and we just get walked over and we get burned down and we get tired. We'll, we'll come to that. But it's a reminder that one of the things that will absolutely blow up your faith is when you catch the heart of servanthood. Another verse that we look at is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And I love this last little line here. This, this is your true and proper worship. If you want to know what it means to worship God, give your life as a living sacrifice. One of the challenges that we've got in our contemporary Western culture, is in many ways we've boiled down worship to those few songs that we sing before the pastor comes up and moans on for 30 minutes. And it's that, that, that 30 minutes or that 15 minutes or that 10 minutes or that 5 minutes or whatever the practice of the church is. And that's our worship time. 
But the biblical picture of worship is so much deeper. That actually one of the best acts of worship you can give to God is that every waking moment of your life is given as an act of, as a living sacrifice. That you view your work, that you view where you rest, that you view where you play in the different groups you're a part of, that, that you view your family time through the lens of worship. That just as Jesus gave his life on the cross to save us from our sins, so we give our lives each and every day. And we start each day and we even, you know, it may be a good practice for you is at the start of that, as you get up and you get through that grogginess that first comes or, or in our case, it's the screaming, to- no, he's, not even a t- he's not even a toddler anymore. When Toby comes running into our room and he's like ready to go, all right, I guess the day's starting. That's already a sacrifice. And you just look at it through the lens of, all right, today is another opportunity. Today's another day that I can live to worship God. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Matthew 14, verse 15 to 21 says this. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. This will be a story that everybody knows. This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need, do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves and a bread and two fish, they answered. Bring, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. A fairly famous story that's shared in a lot of different contexts. But one of the principles that it brings out, which I think is really important in terms of thinking about our own personal ministry and, and what we give to God, is I know that one of the traps that we get caught in is that we want to give this here. But all we have is this. And that's so much more. And so we get paralyzed and we wait and we say, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be involved, I'm not going to get do this thing until I can give that which I know God deserves, that, that I'd love to be able to do this much here. And one of the parts of this story that I think Jesus is really drawing out in this context is he's saying, I'm Jesus, I can do a lot with a little. Just offer what you have. In terms of getting involved in ministry or getting involved in serving or getting involved in your workplace and having that attitude, don't wait until you have all that you would like to have. Just offer the little that you have today and just see what God does with that. Don't wait. Don't sit back and go, you know, I, I need this to be perfect. I need to sort out all of my, my home life. I need to sort out my family. Good luck. I need to sort out all of these things and then I will serve. 
and then I will be living, you know, give my life as a living sacrifice. When I get that one thing sorted, then I will. I think Jesus is standing before you saying, just give me what you have today. We'll worry about the rest in the future. And we'll try and sort those family out. You know, anyone else got family? No. Then we'll sort those things out that are weighing on your shoulders. But don't wait. Just offer what you have. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Again, another famous passage. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Another challenge that we face in living a life of ministry, in in living a life of service, is looking at that service through the wrong lens. Many people who follow Jesus get stuck because they don't accept the grace that is given to them. They, they still recognize and go, God, I'm not good enough here. I need to do, do, do. I'm going to get busy, busy, busy. I'm going to give, give, give. And it's a cycle of perpetually feeling like I'm not enough. Here's some news to everyone. I'm speaking to myself. None of us are good enough. It's why we needed Jesus to die on the cross. You don't serve God to earn salvation. I mean, we know that, but sometimes we don't let that penetrate down to our hearts. It is by grace. It is by grace. It is by grace that you are saved. And let that truth sink in deep. But it isn't where it ends. So we are called to do good works. We are called to serve. We are called to be about the work of Jesus. But we're not saved by works. We're saved for them. That when Jesus died on the cross and he had your name in his mind, as he looks and thinks about you today and this day and as you interact with him, he has ideas of what he'd like to see you do. Not to earn your salvation because that's already sorted but to be a part of his story, to bring this world to be the place that it's meant to be. And so accept the grace of that forgiveness. Don't get serving as a way of trying to earn God's favor because that's not what happens there. But also don't sit comfortable back and go, you know, all right, I'm saved now. I can just go off and do whatever I want to do because you were saved for a purpose. You were saved to live for him and to give each day, and to think through the different lens of what you're involved in, of how can I use in this context, what can I give in this place to be a living sacrifice for Jesus? Uh, In Isaiah, it says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here here am I, send me. Isaiah 6, 8. Uh, There's a famous evangelist around, I think, at the end of the 18th, sort of into the 19th century, uh, D.L. Moody. And he wrote these words next to this passage in his Bible. I am only one, 
but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. So here's, here's the freedom in this, what he says here. You cannot do everything. And I, I know for some people that are sitting here, actually right now, you probably are almost doing everything. But in your workplace or in your family or in the circumstance you're in, maybe the words that you need to hear today is to be reminded that you are actually only one person. You are only one person. You can't carry the load of everything. But then for some of us, we're also paralyzed by, I have a million things I would like to do. I'd love to see all of these things happen. And so we don't take that first step. You are only one, but you are one. And so as we think about catalyzing our faith, what can I do? What can I offer? Uh, what is it that's going to help me grow in my faith? Simply this. Offer what you have. Offer what you have. Don't try and offer any more. Don't pretend that you've got more capacity than you have. Be honest with yourself about your current capacity. And actually be okay with that. Sit in, sit in that place of, you know what, right now, this is what I've got. But then in taking that step, you open yourself up to grow into what Jesus is calling you to. That where you are now doesn't have to be where you are in six months or 12 months or 24 months or three years or five years. But offer what you have now and grow into what Jesus is calling you to. And your faith will grow. As you start to step out, as you start to, you know that comfort zone? Everyone's sitting in their comfort zone, or maybe some of you are feeling a bit uncomfortable. Sorry. And then we have that comfort zone that we, we sit in and we try and fight for that space. The answer is not to go to the other side of the room straight away. It's just take one step. Just take one step. What's that one step that maybe God is prodding you to take? He wants to grow your faith. And then there's the next step, and then there's the next step, and then there's the next step. But right now, what's the one step? A couple of ways that this might play out in your life, a couple of ways to think about this. Are you doing personal ministry? Or are you living a life of personal ministry? They are very different Doing personal ministry is kind of the idea of, I, I'm, just, I'm just doing and doing and doing and doing. I'm a human doing, not a human being. I'm busy, 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 busy. But living a life of personal ministry means orienting everything about yourself, how you operate, how your family operates, how your home operates, how you work in your workplace, uh, how you go in those... How are you orienting your life in such a way that all of it is personal ministry. But in doing so, you don't have to cram it all into it. Because the other way this works out is this, is you'll have the God box. 
And when you're in the God box, you do ministry. And when you're out of the God box, you do everything else you have to do in life. And there's often a competing, the God box starts to grow and grow and asks more of you. And you're like, I, I can't give in that space. And so you need to know your capacity. You need to know what you can and can't give. But the other way of approaching it is finding a way to do away with the compartmentalization and actually look at everything you do through the lens of a ministry to Jesus. That that means you can brush your teeth for Jesus. I know that might sound strange. But you can be doing everyday mundane things as part of your relationship with Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus' disciples lived with him day in, day out. They weren't disciples of Jesus when they were walking with him. And then when they went to bed, they weren't disciples of Jesus. Part of the premise of discipleship, the very method of what discipleship was, was you watched your rabbi. You saw how he walked and you tried to walk like the rabbi walked. You saw how he interacted and you tried to interact with how the rabbi did. That every waking moment and even maybe how you slept, you can't really do much about that. You were learning from your rabbi what it meant to follow him. And so for some of us, it's actually recognizing that we put up those walls and we have our God moments and we have our, there's the rest of the time moments. What does it look like to bring down some of those walls? How about this one? Would the people where you work rest and play? It's one of the phrases that we use at Austin Cove. Work being generally where you might earn a living or maybe you volunteer or you're involved in that space. It's kind of that, that, that space. Uh, rest, which we use kind of jokingly because this is meant to be kind of for home and home isn't always rest. But generally speaking, you'll hopefully find some rest there. And play, the places that you're involved, the environments where you, you know, go play some sport or you're involved in the local you know, club or something of that nature. With the people where you work, rest and play, Describe you as servant-hearted. Not that you are trodden down, not that you just, you know, do, 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 do. But there's an understanding that that's just part of who you are. I think that is an aspect that all Christians are meant to have. That, that to some degree, everybody who follows Jesus, we're meant to follow the Master. And, and it's, a, it's a daily challenge to orient towards servanthood without becoming the person that just does things all the time and becomes the doormat because Jesus was not a doormat but he was always about and looking for ways to serve and then here's the one for those of you that are sitting there going there's just too much going on are you trying to offer more than you have Maybe for some of you, maybe it's a specific part of your life or maybe it's the whole of life at the moment. Are you trying to offer too much? And maybe you build it up and you put it under the guise of I'm being servant-hearted, I'm, I'm serving beyond my capacity. If you break as a person, that doesn't help the kingdom of God. Jesus' words were, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke, and that was the way—that was a way of living. Take my yoke upon your shoulders. That the way of following Jesus as a servant-hearted person shouldn't lead to a place of burnout. 
shouldn't lead to a place of having given so much that you've actually got nothing left to give. So maybe have a look at what are the areas that are pushing too many buttons right now. And what does it mean to take one step? Because the other thing is, uh, and I'm sure many have experienced this, when you're in a place of either near burnout or when you're in a place where you kind of feel stuck, the answer is about a thousand steps. And you don't have the energy for a thousand steps. So what's the first step? Is it a conversation you need to have with someone? Is it a change of habit or a pattern that you need to do? Don't wait until you can answer all of the questions. Just what's the first step for you today? So as we draw to a close of our series, looking at supercharging our faith, I just wanted to very quickly touch base on and remind you uh, of the different sections we've looked at. That The overarching premise of this series has been that the main foundation of faith is trust. That, that as you grow your trust in Jesus, that, that as your relationship with him and as you start to grow that place of, I can trust Jesus with all of these things, your faith will grow. We looked at pivotal circumstances and you can't necessarily orchestrate pivotal circumstances, but you can put yourself in environments, you can put yourself in places, in relationships where those circumstances are more likely to come together to help you to grow in your faith. And then God will use those places that you are putting yourself to draw you closer to him. We talked about providential relationships and we can't necessarily decide which of those relationships are going to be providential and which are the ones that are just going to be relationships. But again, we can look at our environments, we can look at the places that we're involved in different things and we can strategically get involved in those places knowing that there's a chance God will use those relationships to grow. Looked at practical teaching and making sure that we are putting ourselves in places where we receive practical teaching, where, where it's not just some head knowledge that we sort of get a really great theology, but it actually puts some legs on it and helps us to live it out. And that God will use that to grow your faith. At last week, we looked at private disciplines and recognising that our disciplines, the main function of our disciplines is to grow our trust. It's not to do more things. So it's to look at the rhythms that we have and are those rhythms growing our trust? And then finally, it's getting involved. It's, it's putting our, our foot, dipping our toe in the water and just looking at what are those different ways we can serve. And we don't, by personal ministry, we don't mean Sunday morning. There is, there is never enough people, and th th that's the reality, but the solution is not that we get everybody just serving on a Sunday. It's actually having a lifestyle of living each day for Jesus and letting that be what actually helps you see and unpack all that's going on. My hope for you and my hope for this church is that we can continue to grow in our faith and grow in our trust and grow in our relationship with Jesus and that over time, step by step, we'll see little bits of his kingdom breaking forth in our midst. And that we can help release people from the cycle of perpetual busyness. Because there is just so much business in our culture. And journey together as our faith grows. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. And we pray 
that you would help us to give our lives as a living sacrifice. I want to pray for each person here that you would, you would help us to each have a sense of what is one step we can take. Whether that's picking up something or whether that's putting down something. Whether that's looking at a box that we're a part of and removing the walls or recognising that we actually need to step back. Help us to live our lives as an act of sacrifice. Each day we pray. Amen.